The fall is always a fun time. You can kind of feel things starting to ramp up, and I know it's going to be good. I, I hope that you will find something this fall that will really, you know, make a difference in your life spiritually. I'd like to ask you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. We're going back to our study in the book of Mark, and we're asking this question, so who is this man? Mark comes out immediately in his book, and he says, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. And he then begins to talk about Jesus and all that he said and did. And in Mark chapter 8, um, we, we see a passage where Jesus feeds 4,000 people. Does it sound a little bit like Jesus feeding 5,000 people in Mark chapter 6? <clears throat> it's a lot like that. But at the end of this section that we're looking at today, this is what Jesus has to say to the disciples. Is your heart still hardened? This is verse 17. Having eyes you do not see, having ears you do not hear, and you do not remember? I mean, these are great questions for you and me today. And the honest truth is, if you're gonna be following Jesus and you're gonna be pursuing God, you're gonna be confused sometimes. God is big and powerful and majestic and he is so big, sometimes we have a hard time keeping up with him. And the disciples in this passage struggled because of the things that Jesus was doing. So what is it that you um, are not seeing that he's trying to point out to you? What, what are the things that you're not hearing that he's trying to communicate to you? This is, this is a question. In verse 19, Jesus tells the disciples this. He says, when I broke the, the five loaves for the five thousands, how many, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? You see, but you don't see. You hear, but you don't hear. You don't remember. How is it that you do not understand? The disciples were struggling to keep up with Jesus. And I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about us. Do you ever feel that way? Like, God, I, I, I'm, I'm so confused by what you're doing. Why didn't you answer my prayer? Why are you not helping me in this area where I'm asking for your help? And sometimes we get confused. And if we would just stop and pay attention, we can be sure of this one thing. God is always at work even when you don't see it. He's always at work. God is so powerful, so complete. He lives outside of time. He is infinite and everlasting. And what he does, he doesn't do for just right now, but he does it also for the generations that will follow because he sees it all, all at the same time. And, and in fact, God works today according to the plan of the ages. So he factors in the past and the future as he deals with the present. But we've got to pay attention. The other day, uh, I took my son James, and for those of you who don't know my son James, James is, um, he's my 27-year-old boy who has Down syndrome, so he's such an interesting guy. He's so much fun. The one thing I love to do, and I'm always trying to get him to do that he doesn't like, is I'm trying to get him out of the house, out of a screen, and I take him on a walk. And so I did that. I took him on a walk. We, we have this little, I don't know if you call it a lake, it's Valley Water Mill something, 
It looks kind of like a little mini lake. I'm going to call it a lake because I guess I can. Okay. And, and so I, I told him he's going to go. One of us was enthusiastic, and it wasn't James, about going on this walk. And I remember as we were going on this walk, it's so pretty. I mean, take a look at this picture. Isn't that so picturesque? I mean, you see the reflection of the sky and the water and the green trees in the back. And then in the summertime, it grows this thick green moss. And as I'm walking over the bridge on this day, I look down and, you know, when you walk fast, you miss so many things. You see, but you don't see. You hear, but you don't hear. But I looked down and I saw this picture of three small turtles on a piece of driftwood. Isn't that cool? And the longer I looked at those three turtles and scanned all of the green moss, I began to notice there were a lot of turtles in that. They would pop up their heads, they would swim. I counted seven turtles and a very large, bright green frog. It was amazing. And all of that gets missed when you don't pay attention. Sometimes in our lives, we, we miss what God is doing because we're not paying attention. We're not asking him. We're not listening. We're not looking. Jesus tells his disciples, I, I need you to listen. I, I promise you I'm at work in ways in this moment you do not understand. And we're going to get to what they were struggling with. But God is always at work. What we need to do in our moments of confusion, sadness, difficulty, is we need to divert back to this idea that God is at work, and so we're going to trust him. We're going to keep believing because we know he's doing way more than we can see at this moment. Listen to some of these verses that talk about God being at work. Isaiah 65, 24, before they call, I will answer. Did you hear that? Do you think God is listening to you? Before they call, I will answer. He's at work even before you make the request. While they are still speaking, I will hear. Psalm 34, 6. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. John 13, 7, Jesus replied, You do not realize what I'm doing, but you will understand. Later, you will understand. In Philippians 2.13, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Uh, in John 5.17, Jesus answered them and said, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. You know, God never takes a day off. Uh, matter of fact, he never takes a moment off. Did you know that God never sleeps or slumbers? Often we reach out to him and place matters in his hand and don't even realize that he was already at work. God knows our needs, and that is why, at the end of it all, we need to just trust him. So Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, the story of Jesus feeding 4,000 people. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on this multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint 
on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him. This is their response. How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? Does this sound like something you've heard before? He asked them, well, how many loaves do you have? They said seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples who sat before them and they set uh, them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish and having blessed them, he said, he, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000 and he sent them away, immediately got into a boat and went with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. When then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he, he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, he departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of, the, of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes you do not see, having ears you do not hear, and do not remember. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said seven. And he said to them, how is it you do not understand? Jesus is so frustrated. So if Jesus would look at you today and say, listen, how is that you just still don't understand? You're in good company. Jesus would deal with them. And I've got three things to say about this passage. The first one is, this describes a crowd of people with hungry hearts. Hungry hearts. Now, in Mark chapter six, Jesus takes the five loaves, two fishes, and feeds 5,000 people, but he was in the area that was primarily a Jewish area. Now, what's difference be, different between Mark 6 and Mark 8? It's primarily the place and the, the, the people that are there. In Mark chapter 8, they are in a Gentile area. These 4,000 people are not Jewish. This, they, they do not share the tradition of the Jews. They are pagans. They worship many gods and idols. They are not the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They do not have the rich history of a relationship with the one true and creator God who demonstrated over generations his power, his love, his commitment. They knew that the Jews despised them as Gentiles. The Jews, especially in the day of Jesus, would not think of going into the home of a Gentile, and never would they sit down and share a meal with them. They considered Gentiles unclean. Here we have Jesus, who was certainly a Jew, getting ready to break bread and eat with and feed a Gentile crowd of 4,000 people, and these disciples were appalled at that. 
We don't eat with Gentiles. And that's why they drug their heels. You feed them. Where are we going to get bread? Wait a second here, guys. Do you remember the last time Jesus was in the wilderness with the multitude and told you to feed them? Does anybody here, any of the 12 here, have a recollection of what Jesus could do and did? But they refused. Why? It was beyond their wildest imaginations that Jesus and them would sit down and share a meal with these Gentiles. They actually did not understand what Jesus was doing because what Jesus was doing is he was making a major shift. He was, he was capturing the part of his mission that would move from just the Jews to now reach the entire world, including the Gentiles. Because you see, Jesus came for the nations. When Jesus cleansed the temple, he cleansed the part of the temple courts that were that were for the Gentiles to come and serve. I mean, Jesus' heart is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So this idea of being so Jewish that they were prejudiced against the rest of the world and had absolutely no concern for them, that was a problem. And Jesus, if you notice, is systematically moving to shift their thinking and how they understood the world. Do you remember a while back, we, we, we read about how Jesus got out of a boat one day and this gathering maniac came running to him, fell down at his feet. Now this guy was so full of demons, he lived in the tombs, he screamed all the time, uh, he ran around naked, um, he would cut himself. I mean, this guy, we would say, this guy's crazy. He was demon-possessed. And when the people of that area tried to control this guy that scared everyone by chaining him up, he had personal strength that was so supernatural, he could break any chains and get out of any restraints. No one could restrain him. And this man runs to Jesus and falls down in front of him. And Jesus casts out the demons there were legions of demons in this man. And he sends them into the swine. I can't go back to the, and, and completely deal with it. You can go read it. All of these pigs drown. Notice they're pigged. He's in a Gentile area. We're in the same area. And this man, when, the, when they come from the city to investigate what's going on and discover this man whom they've been afraid of for so long, uncontrollable, crazy, unable to sit down, screaming naked. He is clothed and clean and in his right mind. And he's at peace. And when, when the leaders of the town say to Jesus, get out of here, leave our country, this man says to them, Jesus, can I go with you? And you know what Jesus says? No. Some people have been offended by that response. I, I, got, I got an email from someone that was trying to figure this out, and it seems like a cold response, but Jesus immediately put this guy, puts this guy on mission, and he says, no, you go back and tell your people. The 4,000 people were the product of the ministry of this demon-possessed man who had been presenting his 
personal testimony and his changed life and telling everyone in this Gentile area it was because of a man named Jesus. The second thing that kind of pushes them to change their thinking was there was this Greek woman, and we talked about this not long ago, who followed Jesus around begging him to help her because her daughter was demon-possessed. And Jesus, if you read carefully, Jesus makes no response. He ignores her. The disciples are irritated that this woman keeps following them around, and he tells Jesus that he should send her away. Now, here's, here's their opinion. This is a Greek woman. She's a Gentile. Not our responsibility. She's in the way. She's a bother. <clears throat> we don't care. Then Jesus when he responds to her, kind of mirrors their heart attitude when she says, will you please him? And he says, it's not right for me to take the bread of the children and feed it to the dogs. I have come to the children of Israel. And this woman's response with great humility but tenacity says, oh, but even the children... Even, even, even the dogs can eat the crumbs that fall from the table of the children. And Jesus says, oh, your faith is so great. Your daughter is healed. You can go home now. And so I think what Jesus was doing is he was, he was reflecting sort of the general attitude of his disciples that needed to change. And then he, he shows his great compassion and his love for her. Jesus is absolutely at work. And when they are asked to feed this crowd, it is not something they want to do. But Jesus is preparing to expand the ministry to the world that was always his intention. In Mark chapter 7, why, why do these people come follow Jesus? I mean, you think about it, they, 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 were, they were following Jesus to the point that there's three, three days with him, their food supply is gone, but they won't leave and go get more bread. Why? Because in Mark 7, 37, this is the response of the crowd, they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all, the, all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak, and we're listening to Jesus, and Jesus, Jesus is teaching us things and drawing us to God in a way that it feels like we have found what we have been missing. I mean, Jesus slides past their cultural and historical false understanding of God. And these 4,000, they're there to hear what Jesus has to say. And Jesus looks at them, and he says to the disciples, I'm just moved with compassion. My great love for these people, maybe parentheses that you despise, will not let me send them home without feeding them first, lest they faint along the way. Did you know that everyone in this room um, 
we're looking for something. We were all created by God and in his image, and I love the, I love the narrative in Genesis because God, he, he, he comes and he, he's created the world, right? And now he comes and he forms man out of the dust of the ground. I, I, I can only imagine. It is certainly saying that God was personally involved in the creation of man. And then he breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And later says that he created man, both male and female, with the breath of life. We were created in his image. And in Colossians, it talks about the fact that we were made by him and for him. Listen to this, Colossians 1, 15 to 17. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. You and I were created by him and we are created for him. The purpose of our existence is for him and he is before all things and in him all things Consists Jesus is the center of the universe. We, we long for something. We are hungry for something. And these people were discovering. We don't know how we're going to get home because we're all so hungry and our food's gone. But we hunger for this man, Jesus, and what he's teaching us. So I don't know how it's going to work out, but I can't leave him. Do you see the dedication and the devotion of this Gentile crowd who knows that Jesus is the Jewish rabbi and the Jews despise them and consider them unclean, but this Jesus loves them. You know what we need more than anything? We need fellowship with God. Um, uh, hands down, nothing will satisfy us. And, and that's why you need to come to Christ. And that's why we need to abide in Christ. Because unless we understand this to be the central focus of our lives, we will all starve to death. Our natural tendency is to try to satisfy our souls with all kinds of things. I mean, we look to people and relationships. If we could only get married or if we could only have children and our children and our spouse, and they, they should satisfy us. And boy, that's a, terrible, that's a terrible equation for life because your children and your spouse do not have the capacity to meet the depth of your need and longing that God alone can meet. When we look to success and wealth, prestige and power, pleasure to find satisfaction, it's not gonna work. None of these things can give our lives meaning and purpose and contentment. But we run after all the wrong things. I read the story of the USS Indianapolis that was a part of World War II and on July 30. 1945, this, this cruiser was in the Pacific 
and it was headed home, but they didn't make it home because a Japanese torpedo hit the cruiser on its way back. It sank in minutes, only 12 minutes. 300 of the 1,200 men died within those 12 minutes. 900 went into the water, and during four days and five nights without food, without water, the blazing sun of the Pacific, of the 900 that went into the water, only 316 survived the lack of water and the sharks. This is an awful story. One of those who survived was the chief medical officer who recorded his own experience, and this is what he writes. There was nothing I could do. Nothing I could do but give advice bury the dead at sea and save the life jackets and try to keep the men from drinking the water. What water are we talking about? The sea water, the salty sea water. He's trying to prevent them in their thirst from drinking the water in the ocean. When the hot sun came out and we were in this crystal clear ocean, we were so thirsty, you, you couldn't believe it wasn't good enough to drink I had a hard time convincing the men that they shouldn't drink it. The real young ones, you, you take away their hope, you take away their water and their food, they would drink the salt water and they would go fast. I can remember striking them who were drinking the salt water, trying to get them to stop, but they wouldn't, and they would get dehydrated, and they would get all maniacal, and then they would die because they drank the water. You know what Jesus was preaching here? He was saying to these people, you know, um, I know you're hungry. I know you're thirsty, but I, I need you to know I am the bread of life. I am the living water. He invited them to come to him and find rest for their souls. Jesus had come to give life and to give life more abundantly. And the devil had come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. These were the realities Jesus talked about. Jesus' message was clear. Don't drink the water of this world. It may look crystal clear. It may look like this is water to satisfy your thirst. It will taste so good, but it's poison. It will harden your heart, destroy your mind. This water will cause you to continually lust for more, and it will ultimately poison your life. Don't drink it. Naomi Wolf is an American feminist and author, a graduate of Yale University, and she kind of speaks to this issue when she writes a couple books. The first one she wrote was The Beauty Myth, and um, you know, I, I have no indication that this lady is, is a woman of faith or believes in Jesus. She's, a, she's an academic. She's a writer. But in the beauty myth, she says this. She says, how images of beauty are used against women. In this book, she describes the beauty myth is the obsession with physical perfection that traps the modern woman in an endless spiral of hope, self-consciousness, self-hatred, as she tries to fulfill society's impossible definition of flawless beauty. Oh, that's still a problem. She also wrote another book called The Porn Myth, where she describes how sex and pornography are the wallpaper of this generation. In the end, it, it is making people less satisfied and more alone. These are the waters that are poisoned. Nothing's going to satisfy us. Only Jesus will bring real satisfaction, contentment, and meaning 
and purpose to our lives. I mean, we were created by this eternal, holy, righteous God. And I mean, our souls are so incredibly complex and magnificent. Have you ever realized that? Your soul is magnificent. There is nothing in this world that can ever meet the needs of your soul other than God himself. Oh my goodness. And he invites us into a personal relationship with him through Jesus Christ, his son. And he promises to fill us with the Holy Spirit. He will transform us. I was talking to a friend who came to visit us at the house not long ago, and you know, I love to ask everybody I meet, honestly, tell me about your journey. Tell me how you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's the best story anybody can ever share with me. I, I love it. And so this person described how that she was very successful in her business. I mean, she was professionally ex accept, uh, respected and at the top of her game. She had grown up in a religious upbringing, but, and she believed in God, um, but her life was pretty much focused on success, the big house, the fancy car, and then her marriage fell apart. And at that point, she began to be consumed with the custody battles for her children, and she wanted to win at all costs. But then she grew exhausted and empty because she just couldn't win everything, and nothing was working. Somebody invited her to go to church one day. She heard being a Christian was not just a label, but an invitation to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and have a personal walk and experience with the God in whose image we were made, in whose breath we breathe. And on that night, she said, she prayed a prayer that changed everything because she gave her life to Jesus and surrendered everything into his care. And now when I sit and listen to her, and I hear about the ministry that she leads, she's an incredible lady. And she'll be the first to tell you, it's because God is in her life. These 4,000 Gentiles in the wilderness were running out of literal food, but they had found Jesus who was satisfying their hunger. I gotta run through these next two points pretty quickly, so here we go. Buckle your seat about number one. In this whole passage, we see hungry hearts. These are people that, man, this is, I think this is the one of the most remarkable crowds, 4,000 people so devoted to discovering who Jesus is and what he had to say. And then, then, then the next persons that show up are the Pharisees who come and they want to dispute with Jesus and they demand a sign from heaven. And you know what kind of hearts they are? They are resistant hearts. They want a sign. Are you kidding me, Pharisees? Is it not enough that Jesus heals the sick, makes the blind see, makes the deaf hear, the lame walk, can raise the dead and feed thousands with a little boy's lunch? You're still looking for a sign? Jesus says, no way, I'm not giving you anything else. Because really, they didn't want more information. 
They didn't look for a sign. They already had concluded. They did not want Jesus to be God. And even if all evidence presented proved that he was, in fact, God, they didn't want to see it. I don't know if ever, whenever you were growing up, if your, your mom or your dad gave you instructions and you really didn't care and you, you weren't really all about doing what they said and so then they would come back and they would correct you. And, and, and then maybe I'm just doing personal confession here. Please don't leave me all here all by myself. And, and my, my response would be, well, I just didn't understand. You, you know what I mean? It's not, I, I'm sorry, I didn't understand. I didn't understand. You, you get the gesture, the tone. You know, some people, they're missing Christ because they don't want him to be God. Now, sometimes we do need more information. That's why we have services every Sunday, right? But we've got we've to be careful and evaluate our own hearts. Do we, do we really want to hear and see and listen? And Are we open? Are we open to trust and obey a God that sometimes we don't understand? Believing that God is always good. Believing God is always right. Jesus, God is always working. Third, unbelieving hearts. I mean, these, these Pharisees, they, they were not going to believe. Jesus warns them, he says, in the, when they get in the boat. So, um, hey, beware, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. Now, why, why did he say that? Leaven. What is leaven? Leaven is the thing you put to make bread, right? It contains yeast. And the yeast begins to multiply. And soon, it will spread throughout the entire loaf. It's a, it's a man, it makes really great bread, right? Do you like the nice... I don't know if sourdough bread has leaven because I'm just not a baker, but y'all out there might know. And he says, you know, you've got to beware of the leaven. They say, oh, well, he's, he's telling us because we only have one loaf of bread. And then that's when Jesus says, well, guys, 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 I fed 5,000 with how many loaves? Five. I fed 4,000 with how many loaves? Seven. I'm not talking about the bread. Will you please listen to me? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the, the Romans. Why? Because these groups were threatened by Jesus. They, have, they were rejecting him. Do you, do you know what leaven is like? It's like something that is so awful that we deal with all the time and that is cancer. Cancer. Cancer starts out as a few tainted cells that begin to spread. And you know what cancer can do? It can take over a whole body and lead to death. And it's so awful. But worse than that is the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod people who just will not believe. The issue is he's calling us to live 
in faith and trust and obedience. And oh God, I'm confused, but I believe. Oh God, this hurts, but I will believe in you. Oh God, I'm scared of what I, I, I'm I'm looking at in the future, but, but I will believe in you. And I will believe that what you're doing right now maybe doesn't make sense in this generation, but it's gonna be right because you've seen the past, you see the future, and it's gonna be part of this incredible mosaic of the goodness of God. So I will trust you. Will you bow your heads, please?